the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, the Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid. But there is hope. Reach out to someone. Connect with your friends. Stay in touch with your community. And know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, As we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to shift gears and talk about something a little different. We all heard uh, stories about the wildfires this past year in California, but going back to 2017, a wildfire uh, devastated the family of my next guest um they they lost their home and um the author was a stay-at-home mom who was looking for ways to to try to explain to her children um how to survive after losing a home and and uh, about resilience and healing and so on and she wasn't able to find any, so she did what everybody would do. She wrote her own. I'm kidding when I say that. But uh, she joins me now by phone. Uh, the name of the book is uh, Home, A Story of Resilience and Healing by Carrie Lee Barnes. Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tom. I really appreciate you having me on. Um, this is a, a tragic yet interesting story about... Um, you know, after after something goes bad, um, finding your way back to the good and uh, kind of appropriate for this first week of 2021 as so many people are so happy to have 2020 behind us. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Um, not only has it been a really tough year with regards to the pandemic, um, we're happy to say out here that it we finally can say fire season is over this year. So we made it through another year of, um, you know, evacuations and and worry. Well, it was it was bad all over the uh, all over the Southwest and and the uh, West Coast and and up into uh, 
well, the Plains states even a little bit. It's been a terrible year for wildfires, but tell me about the one that you experienced in 2017. You were in uh, Santa Rosa, California? That's right. So um, Santa Rosa is north of San Francisco, about um, 50 miles or so. We're in the heart of wine country, the Russian River um, to be exact, and um, the Tubbs fire kind of took all of us by surprise. I think for two reasons, we hadn't ever had a fire out here um, that that I know of for, for a very long time, but also because it was really, really early in the morning, middle of the night type of thing. So we mm. were stripped from our beds and, and trying to rush out. So um, it was it was a pretty crazy scenario. And it wasn't just me. It was thousands of people in our in our town. Our entire town was devastated by this fire. And Quite frankly, when you drive down my street, you'll see that probably only 30% of the homes have been completed. In terms of uh, being rebuilt or completely raised or, or, or what? Rebuilt. So when you, when you go through such a tragic loss that devastates not just one family but thousands of families, you know, there's, you're dealing with shortage of supplies, um, shortage of contractors, um, dry weather. I mean, right now we're heading into the rainy season, so I expect that these people will be prolonged even further. But um, it's it's a big undertaking, and you really don't have any idea what you're getting yourself into when you decide to rebuild. But 30% have probably completed the rebuild of their homes. You know, the um, you mentioned the name of the fire, the, the Tubbs Fire which was deemed one of the most destructive wildfires in California history, destroying more than 5,600 homes. Do all fires get names? They do, and um, this was a learning moment for me. But the way that they name them most of the time is where they originated. So ah. whether, you know, it's a, a road that maybe it, it started on being Tubbs, that's why it was named the Tubbs Fire. Interesting. So there's a there's a description of you and your husband and and your two boys, two young boys, um, going back after the fire to to really kind of accept the fact that your house was really gone. Yeah, you know, so what, what you don't know until you go through it is when there's a fire of this magnitude, um, there's a lot of hazardous material that's left behind. And so it's very unsafe to go back. And you think, oh, your your house burns down, you're going to immediately know that. Well, in our case, when we were, you know, in the, staying in a friend's apartment the days and weeks to follow, we had no idea if our house survived or if it didn't survive because you weren't allowed back up into the neighborhood due to the hazardous uh, materials. They even had the National Guard guarding the neighborhood so people wouldn't go back to their homes. So it wasn't until a couple weeks later that we knew for sure whether we lost everything or not. And there was, um, you know, your the random one or two homes that, you know, by the grace of God, didn't get burned down. I don't know if the wind shifted right in front of their home, but there were a couple that did stand. Is it um, the way we, going back to, to a home like that, is the way we imagine it, as we've seen in videos of, of 
post-disasters like hurricanes and fires and so on. Um, are, are you able to walk through the rubble and, and salvage anything? So I think that you probably can in some circumstances. Um, people get sifters and they go through the rubble to find, you know, heirlooms and jewelry and things that should have withstood the fire. But, you know, my in-laws, they live only a mile and a half away and they lost their home as well. And they had a fireproof safe in their home and that got destroyed in the fire. So because the fire was this particular fire was burning so hot, um, there was nothing to save. And that includes their fireproof safe. So, so did did you stay in the area then because there were so many homes destroyed? I would think a lot of people would be tempted to move on to the next town. In the interim, most people moved on to the next town, and we did. We went to Petaluma, which is, um, I'm sorry, Roner Park, Park and Petaluma are, are very close. Um, it's probably 15 miles south of us. And so we stayed there um, in an apartment temporarily until we could kind of get our act together and figure out what next steps were. Um, but there really, there was no place to go. So even all of the hotels were closed down. Our hospitals were um, struggling to, to keep from being set on fire, you know, the spread coming to them. It, it really did affect our entire town. It, it jumped over our largest freeway, Highway 101, and um, destroyed a really large neighborhood on the other side of 101. Restaurants, Walmart went up. So to your point, there really wasn't a safe place to stay because we just didn't know where to go. Now, when you finally had a chance to go back and, and look at the destruction, um, you described uh, your seven-year-old son at the time, Brett, um, that that when he saw it, it had a profound and lasting impact on him. How so? You know, that was really the base for my basis for my book. Um, he he was seven at the time, and I had a five year old as well. He was almost too young, but the seven year old, um, you know, he just was kind of floating through the day um, to follow the fire. He just wasn't centered. He wasn't able to focus. He was suffering from anxiety attacks that he'd never dealt with before, seemingly normal prior to the fire, um, and then afterwards couldn't pay attention in school, um, wasn't sleeping at night, things like that. And so we took him to a therapist, and she suggested that we, you know, seek out some books that had to, to do with the topic of losing a home, because to a child... It's not about the things or the toys. It really is just their center, their place of comfort. You know, and when it's ripped away from you, they just don't know how to handle that. So unfortunately, when I went to look for books, there weren't any dealing with loss of home that we could find. So um, I was pretty surprised by that. Yeah, that that does seem strange. And and I jokingly said, uh, you know, that, that everybody confronted with that would sit down and write their own. That's not really true. But you did, and and how come? What what made you think that that was uh, a good contribution for you to make? You know, prior to the fire, I had a pretty big career. Um, I I worked in surgery, and so when we were noticing that my oldest son wasn't coping well and it wasn't getting any better, 
um, we made the family decision for me to quit working and stay home with him. And I'm not the kind of person that can, um, I get antsy when I, when I'm sitting around for too long. So, and, and I was also just really surprised that there were no resources for children who lose their home. I mean, they have tons of resources about loss, divorce, loss of pet, loss of friends, but nothing to do with loss of home. And so, to be honest with you, when I first started writing this book with Brett, we did it together, and I had no intentions of it turning into anything. It was merely to help us both heal. And that was the the main reason, and it really was very therapeutic. He feels like he had such a big part in this, and he did. And so I think, and now he feels proud that, you know, it's helping other kids. Because there are still children now, when we go through fire season, the smell of smoke triggers their anxiety. And so I get so many calls and people telling me that Brett's book is helping them. And so that that's why we, we did it, and that's how it came about. You, you know, we, we overlook sometimes how powerful uh, the sense of smell is in bringing back memories. Oh, my gosh. It's... It's the number one trigger for all of us. And um, like I, you know, I've told you before, we're not the only survivors here. It's our entire town. And when fire season came again this year, I mean, it, the smell is what sets people off. That's what everyone tells me when we have a fire off. And it can be, you know, pretty far away, but the smoke still infiltrates our area. And everyone just gets immediately anxious. How, so it really is a powerful sense. How big a town is Santa Rosa? Or, or was Santa Rosa? Right. Uh, you know, I don't. I'd have to. Look, I don't want to misquote the population. It's pretty big. I mean, it's a big town. Um, I know it makes it sound, seem small when I talk about how the fire affected our whole town, but that's how big the fire was. I mean, it started all the way in Napa and made its way to us in a matter of a couple hours. So it was extremely fast moving, and and it was very, you know damaging to to both Napa and us and everywhere in between. One of the statistics of the Tubbs fire was that uh, it destroyed more than 5,600 homes. Um, Mm -hmm. But those weren't all in Santa Rosa, or were they? They were not. Um, Like I said, I think it began, it would definitely began closer to Napa, and then it made its way through the valley to Santa Rosa. um, And our neighborhood is pretty large, and so I think there was something like 700 homes in our neighborhood that were destroyed, wow. maybe more. And um, so I think that's, you know, it hits home to me, hits close to home to me because that's where I live. But it definitely affected more than just my neighborhood in Santa Rosa. Of course. Um, Carrie, I have to take a short break here. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? I want to get into the book. Absolutely. Okay. My guest is uh, Carrie Lee Barnes. She is the author of a book called Home, A Story of Resilience and Healing for Kids. And it it, uh, deals with um, uh, healing after a devastating loss. In this particular case, their experience losing a home to a wildfire in uh, Santa Rosa, California. If you're listening to us on 92.1 FM, our voice is radio in Flint. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. We'll be right back.
Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Hey, this is Tom. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. The Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. Master of the deep, tireless voyager, perhaps the most fascinating mammal in creation. Tests have shown the humpback to possess an intelligence almost human in its range and complexity. Humpbacks can communicate with one another, express pain and pleasure, and experience emotion. But with these advanced faculties, it seems, come problems. This highly sophisticated submarine recording made in the humpback's favorite feeding grounds off Baja, California, reveals that the enormous animals may even share with their chief predator man some of those tragic physical disabilities the flesh is heir to. The humpback whales cannot help themselves. Only you can help them. Please send a contribution to Save the Whales Before They Blast Themselves Into Extinction. Box 101, Grand Central Station, New York. 
This has been a message from your Terminal Flatulence Association. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with the author uh, of a new book called Home, A Story of Resilience and Healing, based on uh, uh, the story that uh, she and her family went through in October of 2017 and the devastating Tubbs fire. Her name is Carrie Lee Barnes. She joins me by phone. Carrie, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry for making you sit through all that. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. Um. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the book. Um, is this your first experience writing a book? It is. Um, it, it's a doozy to start your first book with, that's for sure. But um, I'm finding that when it's your own personal loss or something that you're extremely passionate about through experience, it's sort of kind of just comes to you and it is my first book and probably... I don't know. My my family keeps trying to convince us to write another, but I do think this will probably be it. <laughs> That's one of the things that I always ask is, uh, you know, do you have the bug now? But but you describe you said in the last segment that that you and um, your son Brett, who was seven at the time that this uh, fire happened, sort of wrote the book together, and that it wasn't really written as a book. It was more of a an exercise and, and uh, catharsis. That's exactly right. Um, when, when Brett's therapist at the time was kind of coaching us through how to identify the feelings that he, he was feeling and how to deal with them, um, because at the age of seven, they just they don't have the words for what they're feeling. Um, we sat down and we talked about the experience together and as a family, and um, it really it was important for him to articulate those feelings so that we could write it down. And um, that, I can't tell you how helpful that was for him and for me. So we did write it together. There, there's a huge hand um, of his in this book. And as you can see, the main character is based around him. And he even wears the same glasses as the boy in the book. So. <laughs> which, which came first? <laughs> the glasses right. in the book and he copied that? Or was it uh, a caricature of Brett? the caricature for sure um how did it go from being that that cathartic exercise to a published book what was the decision making uh, process what was the whole process well interestingly when we started writing the book um he became very proud and started to go to school and told his teacher he's writing a book and told all of his friends he's writing a book and and they all asked to read it, of course. And so he took it into the classroom and read it to his peers, which, again, was very, very healing for him. Um, and it created a forum for other students to talk about their loss. Because remember, our entire town was devastated by this fire, not just us. And so um, it just dawned on me, you know, this, this could be something. You know, this could be something that would be memorialized for our family for years to come and and it could help other children, and that was the re- that's how it became. Um, and once you knew um, 
that you had a book on your hands, what what happened then? How how was it determined what age it would be targeted at and so on? So there's a little boutique publishing company called Cameron and Company that's located close to home here in Petaluma. And um I submitted the book to them because you know, I I don't have I didn't at the time I didn't have any experience in writing a book. And um, they are known locally for doing really great children's books. And so I reached out to them, and they were very interested, and they also thought it would be a very healing thing for other kids in the community to get their hands on. And so luckily, they selected Home to take on as part of their um, repertoire of children's books under um, the kids' section, if you will, called Roundtree Press. And um, really helped me through the process. They helped me edit the book. They helped me do, you know, do the layout. And then they also allowed me to have access to their portfolio of illustrators. Um, And that's how I selected my illustrator. So it was really through the help of Cameron Company that this book came to life. And, and how how was it for you when it was all done and you you know you you open the cover and see all these illustrations and realize that you know this is our story it was changing um to say the least i mean just to see your story and you know it it was a long process writing a children's book i don't know how it goes for everyone else but it is it's a long process i mean you you go through the illustrations together and you make changes and um, so when it finally came to life and I had the book in my hand, it was surreal um, just to see our story on pages and it looks like us and the characters look like my sons and it was really healing and we and such a sense of accomplishment for Brett. So um, it really was an amazing feeling. Now, what about the um, reactions that you're getting from other people as they get a chance to see and read the book? It's a great question because I'm so surprised by the feedback that we're getting. We're getting nothing but positive feedback, but I think the surprising part is that it's helping people that lose their home of different age, people of different ages, um, and also for different reasons. So we lost our home in a fire, but a close friend of ours had um, a situation where there was really bad weather in Alabama and a tree crashed on our home and just you know she had to move out it destroyed their roof and also put their life in danger and her kids read the book home and she said it really really helped them so I think that was pretty surprising for me was that it's not just for families that lose their home but just kids that are dealing with any type of loss Uh, Carrie when was the book um, when when did it drop as they say when what was the release date Not long ago. So um, the Tubbs fire happened October 2017. um, And, you know, I began writing it pretty immediately, but it just became available about six months ago. And I I would think it was it would have been an interesting process to be going through during this this pandemic and with all the stay at home recommendations. It, it, it was. It was very, it kept us busy. I mean, everyone's dealing with the pandemic and everything that goes along with that in terms of being kind of closed away from your friends and school and, and work and then also being fearful that you might get sick. And um, 
this has been not only a healing um, tool for us to deal with the fire, the loss from the fire, but it's kept us busy through this time of the pandemic. So we're we're grateful for so many reasons to this, you know, for the book. The healing process that you talk about um, is three years enough. You know, it's it's probably not. Um, you want you don't want it to be a life changing event for your children. So, I think it is very important that we as parents find a way to to get through it in a positive way, at least in front of them. Um, but the reason that it's so long especially of this magnitude of a fire, is because you're dealing with insurance and you're dealing with people taking advantage of um, the big loss that we've all had. You know, we all need contractors. We all need supplies. And so you'll see a lot of inflation. You'll see um, people dealing with trying to get their money from insurance so they can just get back home. And it's just a very stressful process that goes on for a couple of years at least. And so there's almost a PTSD associated with just rebuilding your home. <laughs> that that should be booked too. I know. I know. It really should. <laughs> <laughs> um, had you done any writing before this? Uh, I've always loved writing. I've done it as a hobby. Uh, never on this level where I've introduced my work to the public. Um, so I'm extremely grateful that somebody saw something in this book, especially to Cameron and Company. So grateful for them. And um, because this is our first piece of, this is my first piece of work for sure. And what are some of the, the, the key points that, that were important, important to address and, and deal with in talking about coping with loss on this level? I think the biggest key, especially in healing for my son and for myself, is that we need to lean on each other. We need to talk about it. We need to talk about the phases of sadness and grief that we all went through uh, when we were going through it. And um, just, you know, especially for kids, they don't, they don't really know how to articulate their feelings well, so it's important to give them a resource, a tool to allow them permission to talk about how they're feeling. And, you know, they're not feeling right. Something's not right. They're, they're sad. Um, they're mad. And so this, this book really does just create the talking points. And how much editing was there i mean you know when you're pouring out your own feelings it's it's easy to become kind of long-winded how how did that process go for you i think that was probably the hardest part for me um is because i could go on about this for days <laughs> and when writing a children's book you know you you want to be very succinct and you want um you do you have to limit yourself um, and so the editing process was, was long and it's, you also have to kind of remove yourself a little bit emotionally that, you know, it's your baby, it's your book because they, you know, they do recommend taking out parts in order to make it better for the children. So that, that process took probably the longest, um, you know, at least a few months and, um, it was difficult as a writer, but it also makes you better because you understand you're trying to write something that's understood by a child. Um, you know, it's, it's still fairly, uh, 
fairly new because it's just been out for a little while and you're still going through the process of promoting it and doing interviews like this and and all of that but I, I'm I'm surprised that you're not already thinking about the the next book. <laughs> I definitely have a few ideas. So I'm not giving up altogether, but, um, <laughs> you know, my, my husband keeps telling me, you should write another one. And, and I really was healing, and I really enjoyed the process. So we'll see. I mean, it, there uh, should be resources for adults, too. <laughs> I, I was going to say, as you talk um, with people about the possibility of doing a second book, um, or, or doing future books. Um, as as you imagine it, would you want to stay with children's books, or would you want to do? Would you want to attempt to do something, you know, for a more general audience? I think I would stay with children's books. I just I've always loved children's books, and I love the illustration, and I and I see, especially with my own children, how impactful they are in teachings, whatever it may be, um, and, I, and I like that. So I, I would definitely stay with children's books. Now, you said that, that Brett took uh, the, the book to school and, and read it, and, and it, it spurred some conversations, but ha, have you been able to do book signings and readings uh, beyond that? You know, in light of COVID, unfortunately, I haven't been able to do any signings. Um, we did win the gold medal for the Moonbeam Award. Um, Moonbeam um, recognizes children's books for all different types of categories, and Home won gold medal in author's first book category. So, so that did provide some um, some information to people about the book. So that was great. The other thing that I've been doing is classroom Zoom readings. Wow. And that's been a lot of fun. So I'll get on Zoom and schools all over our area with kids who are still traumatized, especially as fire season comes and goes, and I'll do readings for their classroom. Yeah, I would think it would be extremely relevant to, you know, fires that have happened even since the, you know, Tubbs fire, because, uh, you know, sadly, we've seen several other destructive fires since then. We have, and unfortunately, I think it's going to be our... Um, it's it's going to happen every year. I hope not to the same extent of the Tubbs fire. Um, but there's, there are people, I mean, even in Southern California, like you said, that are dealing with, with fires of this magnitude. Um, so hopefully this, this will be a resource for children to come that are dealing with this type of trauma. It's been a little um, overshadowed by the pandemic, but this last year has been... Uh, uh, pretty dramatic for uh for a wildfire season it's been extremely dramatic um it's and it seems like it's just getting worse um i mean the tubs fire destroyed around 1500 houses um maybe even more in our area and a third of those were um my neighborhood so you know it's that's a huge just think about the devastation when you would drive through the neighborhood um, there was nothing standing. I had to use my GPS to get places because my landmarks were gone. Um, so unfortunately, I know that Paradise is another huge fire that recently happened, and they're just dealing with the same type of devastation, probably more than us. And it just seems to get worse every year. So, did you know people in the in the neighborhood, and and uh, have you stayed in touch with some of the 
you know, the the kids' friends and that kind of thing? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because, I don't know, before the fire, we were all so busy in our jobs, and we didn't know each other well. And then as soon as the fire happened, one of the bright spots for me was how it really did bring our community together, specifically my neighborhood. Um, we get together now um, down by where we get our mail, and we talk now, and we text each other, and we check on each other, and most of the people on my street are rebuilding, and I think there's three of us that are finally back in our homes, but 17 more that are rebuilding. So it's brought us closer, and um, that I guess that's a really positive thing to, to highlight. I, I remember one year for, um, I think it was uh, 4th of July, uh, my uh, mother's sister who had remained in, in uh, my mother's hometown of Topeka, Kansas, they had an annual tradition where in this one neighborhood, everybody that had ever lived there came back for this little parade. And it was kids with wagons and people with band instruments they hadn't picked up since high school. and I, I mean, it was just hilarious. But they Aww. would, they would, you know, go to homes of people who still lived in the neighborhood, you know, that they knew, and you know, gather in the yards, and and uh, and then you know, watch this parade, and it was just such a a charming thing, and people don't get to know their neighbors that well anymore, it seems. They really don't, and it's unfortunate that it takes something of this magnitude to bring people together. But um, it, it, sometimes it does. And, you know, it's created this, we've all decided to slow down and get to know each other. And, um, you know, I'm knock, the night of the fire, I'm knocking on people's doors, uh, people I don't know on my street, to get them out of their home. And I remember thinking in that moment, it's amazing I don't know these people. So I yeah. think that that moment occurred to everyone else as well, because the second that we started rebuilding we have all become thick as thieves, so we're we're getting to know each other, and we we make the time now, and so I think that's just it it's so important for communities to do that. That's that's interesting. How how are those people? Um, I I assume that those people know about the uh, about the book, and I'm just curious how their what their oh, reactions they, have been you. like very positive they're very supportive and congratulatory and um you know they, they're all just very i think that we're all grateful to be getting back into our homes and and to, this is a, a happy occasion so something to celebrate so they've been very supportive well one of the things that i always like to do carrie and i appreciate you spending this time and sharing your story with uh, me and and the listeners but um i always ask guests to let people know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Is there a website for the book? There's a Facebook page. The website is um, being created as we speak, um, but there is a Facebook page. It's called Home Story of Resilience and Healing. Um, and I will keep you updated as to when the website's done. But um, this is also my first website, so I want to get it right. <laughs> Well, I just, um, I, I just want to thank you so much for sharing this story. And 
and wish you all the luck with the book and, and anything else that you might, uh, might do in the future. I so appreciate it. Thank you for having me on and allowing me to share my story. And um, Home is available on Target. It's also on Amazon um, and Copperfield Books. So if anyone wants to read about it, read more, that's where you can get it. But again, there's a Facebook page called Home, A Story of Resilience and Healing, which gives a lot more information. Well, thank you so much for spending this time. Take care. Thank you so much. Happy New Year. You as well. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was um, Carrie Lee Barnes, the author of Home, A Story of Resilience and Healing. Think to myself 
This is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. They say singing can help you remember things. So here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Number one. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Two. Virtual playdates, social and physical distancing can help save lives. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. If you have a knack for sales and fundraising and would like to become a valued member of a fun team, you could be a good fit for the Tom Sumner Program. Help us develop the underwriters needed to continue to grow our brand. Write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately and with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not, is a major factor in dancing like a retard, may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them, also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people, and it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. 
engineering and IT services at swiftland.technology. The Tom Summer Program.com. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Say, Edgar, uh, what about that golf tournament that you and W.C. Fields were supposed to play off yesterday? Who won? Well, we, we didn't get very far, Bill. You didn't, Ed? What was the matter? Well, I should have known better than to let Charlie caddy for us, of course. <laughs> well, Edgar, do you mean there was trouble? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what happened, Bill. See, Charlie and I got out there first, and it was a, it was a beautiful morning. It was a great day, and a perfect day for golf, I see. And, uh... to get out of here so early, Berger. You know, it's, it's awful cold out here this time of day. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll just bet you anything Mr. Fields doesn't even show up at this time. Oh, well, now, he promised he would be here at 6.30. He did, uh, Yes, he did. Billy, my books and my bottles. <laughs> sucker for singing out that little Jane Powell would be marvelous. My voice isn't anything like her. Uh, no, it is, no. Oh. W.C. voice. Uh. You're a walking ad for black coffee, Bill. Oh, wait. <laughs> wait. <laughs> hello, Mr. Fields. Hello. Uh, hello, my little chum. I was thinking of you only yesterday. No, you were Yes, I was cleaning out the woodshed at the time. Reminded uh, <laughs> me of you. Yeah. Mr. Fields, is that your nose or a new kind of flamethrower? No. <laughs> Very funny, Charles. Very funny. What's this kid doing around here anyway, Edgar? Well, I- I'm going to be your caddy, Mr. Fields, and I'm going to keep score, too. Uh-oh. <laughs> he says, thanks. Yeah. Well, uh, would you rather I kept score, Bill? Well, to be perfectly frank with you, Edgar, I never trusted either one of you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh... What do you mean by that crack? I want you to know that Bergen is just an honest man as you are. You crook, you. Oh, no. <laughs> that tips off the whole thing. Yeah. You'd better come out of the sun, Charles, before you get unglued. Yeah. <laughs> Do you mind if I stand in the shade of your nose? <laughs> Let's not start that now, fellas, please. Now, I'm sure that Charlie will be very fair a scorekeeper for... Uh, tell me, Charles, if I take three drives and three putts, what's my score? Well, that says three and three, uh... Uh, that's four, Mr. Fields. Four. Oh, very good. Very good, Charles. <laughs> How do you arrive at four? 
Well, I'll tell you. You see, when you were putting, a quarter fell out of your pocket. You see. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a workable arrangement. Yes. <laughs> oh, isn't this a lovely day, Bill? Lovely. You know, the air is so intoxicating. Intoxicating? Yes. <laughs> It is, eh? Stand back and let me take a deep breath. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to be quiet, Charlie. Mr. Fields is going to tee off. Oh, yes, yes. Yes, quiet, please. I shall now take my usual stance. Oh, I wouldn't do that. The ground's a little wet. Oh, no, no. <laughs> quiet, you termites flop house. Now, Charlie, I want you to keep quiet now. He's getting ready to drive. Oh, yes, yes, I'm sorry. Now, if you don't mind a suggestion, Bill... You're not holding your club right. Uh, bend your elbow a little more. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Telling Fields how to bend his elbow. Huh? <laughs> That's like carrying coals to Newcastle. <laughs> Charles, my little pal. Yes, Mr. Fields? Do you know the meaning of rigor mortis? <laughs> no, sir. Well, you will in a minute. Oh. <laughs> uh, let's try and avoid that sort of a thing. And, Charlie, I want you to stop it. Yes, yes. You see, you have Mr. Fields all unstrung. Oh, yeah. Somebody get me a sedative mm. with an olive in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh -huh. Pardon me, gentlemen. Uh, could I play through? Well, we'd rather you didn't. You see, we're getting along in a minute now. Uh... Oh, I'm sorry. Of course, there's no harm in asking. <laughs> oh. I wouldn't be so sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bill. Hadn't we better get on with the game now? Of course, Edgar. Have a take. Can I ever tell you of the time I was caddy master at the Bunk for Heighton? Country club? No. Bunk for Hyde? I didn't know he could say it. Oh, yeah. That was a tough one to say, too. Yeah. It was the top Mount Jungfrau in Switzerland. All right, Bill. Now, there are people waiting to play through. Oh, I have a lot, I have a lot of time left. Uh, Edgar, I hit a ball nine and three-quarter miles. It rolled into an open manhole in front of Swoven Holika's Raskella. Mm -hmm. I, I don't believe I've ever heard of the place. I don't know where it is. Ah, it's with a stone throw from uh, Wolfinger J. Uncoupler's yeah, place. Yes, uh, well, I don't know where that is either. I don't know about that. Oh, you don't get around much, do no. you? <laughs> I say, old chaps, would you mind awfully? Yes, we would. Oh, sorry. Uh, by the way, Caddy, what's the score? How do I stand? I often wonder. I often wonder. <laughs> But there is no score, Bill. We haven't started playing yet. Oh, so we haven't, oh. Caddy. Uh, you'd better give me my ball out of uh, my golf bag. Yes. Is it, is, it, uh, is it in this compartment, sir? Uh, no, that's where I keep my olives. Oh, I see. <laughs> you know, this is the first golf bag I ever saw with a faucet on it. <laughs> now, what's in there? Oh, little snake bite remedy. Oh, <laughs> Excuse me, gentlemen, but I'm the president of the Greens Committee. Well, I'll take spinach. <laughs> well, just what do you want? Well, I'm afraid you're being a little too turf on the tough. I mean too rough on the tough. Uh, I don't know what I mean. <laughs> What's the matter with that guy? Has he got DTs? <laughs> you see before you, gentlemen, the shattered wreck of a man. An unhappy creature who has ceased to know the joys of... Human existence. Ah, uh, teetotaler, eh? 
Walter, I have no sympathy for a man who is intoxicated all the time. Yeah? No. Oh, you don't, eh? No, no sympathy. You have no sympathy for him. Well, a man who's intoxicated all the time, what do you think? <laughs> Just doesn't need any sympathy, I don't think. No, no, no it was my line, I forgot it. I sure do. <laughs> Do. <laughs> I'll be happy all the rest of the day now. Yes. Would uh, you like to hear my story, gentlemen? Oh, oh is he going to continue this thing? What are you yeah. sad about, Chum? What are you sad about? Well, sir, I'll tell you. Six months ago, my wife left me and went back to her mother. Well, that's too bad, but why are you still crying? Well, tomorrow she's coming back and oh. bringing her mother with her. Oh. <laughs> well, let's get on with the game, Bill. What do you say, I think, huh? chaps, please, could I play through? Say, what are you in such a rush about? Well, I really should get home. Why? Well, you see, my house is on fire. Oh, oh there's nothing now nicer than coming home to a warm house. <laughs> Where was I? Well, you were teeing off. Oh, yes, I was yeah. teeing off. Now, this time, keep your eye on the ball. If you can get your eye to detour around your nose. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Tell me, Charles, is it true that when you slide down a banister, the banister gets more splinters than you do? <laughs> Why, you bugle beak, you... <laughs> Why don't you fill your nose with helium and rent it out for a barrage balloon? All right. <laughs> Listen, you animated hitching post. Or I'll sick a beaver on you. You'll do no such thing, Bill. You'll not harm a hair on this boy's head. That's not the end I'm going to work on. <laughs> I'll clip you. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program, our uh, first day of the first full week of the new year. Happy New Year to everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I want to say thanks to all my guests, Carrie Lee Barnes, author of Home, a story of resilience and healing about her family's uh, experience uh, after losing their home in a devastating wildfire in uh, Santa Rosa, California. Also want to say thanks to uh, Ruha Benjamin and uh, that interesting conversation about race and technology. Also want to say thanks to my guest in the uh, first hour of the show, uh, Kimberly S. Reed, talking uh, about her book, Optimists Always Win. Great way to start the new year. Anyway, that's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room once again, but I'll be back tomorrow at 9 with another edition. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. 
If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.